Articles 1 through 3 of the third and fourth main points of doctrine considered together. Article 1, the effect and nature of the fall on human nature. Let's read it together. Man was originally created in the image of God and was furnished in his mind with a true and salutary knowledge of his creator and things spiritual in his heart and will with righteousness and in all his emotions with purity. Indeed, the whole man was holy. However, rebelling against God at the devil's instigation and by his own free will, he deprived himself of these outstanding gifts. Rather, in their place, he brought upon himself blindness, terrible darkness, futility, and distortion of judgment in his mind, perversity, defiance, and hardness in his heart and will, and finally, impurity in all his emotions. Article 2, the spread of corruption. Man brought forth children of the same nature as himself after the fall. That is to say, being corrupt, he brought forth corrupt children. The corruption spread by God's just judgment from Adam to all his descendants, except for Christ alone, not by way of imitation, as in former times the Pelagians would have it, but by way of the propagation of his perverted nature. And finally, total inability. Therefore, all people are conceived in sin and born children of wrath, unfit for any saving good, inclined to evil, dead in their sins, and slaves to sin. Without the grace of the regenerating Holy Spirit, they are neither willing nor able to return to God to reform their distorted nature or even to dispose themselves to such reform. One of my favorite moments in cinematic history is Billy Crystal in the role of a lifetime, Miracle Max in The Princess Bride. So about halfway through, the, well, near the end of the movie, Wesley, one of the main characters, has died. And so his friends bring his corpse to Miracle Max to get him alive again. Miracle Max doesn't believe their story, so he says he's going to ask Wesley a couple of questions. And at this point, one of the friends says, he's, he's dead. He can't talk. And Miracle Max says, oh, look at you who know so much. Well, as it turns out, your friend is only mostly dead. There's a big difference between mostly dead and all dead. Please open his mouth. And they grab a big old bellows from the fireplace, and they stick it in his mouth, and they start pumping it up to get Wesley's chest full of air so that they can push it down and ask him some questions. And he says, mostly dead is still slightly alive with all dead. Well, with all dead, there's only one thing you can do. What's that? Got through his clothes and looked for loose change. And the story is, the scene is ridiculous because it introduces a new category we all know is stupid. We know dead is dead, but now this funny little man is telling us that death is actually a spectrum. So for most of us, we understand that dead and alive are a binary, and he's telling us mostly dead is actually a spectrum. There's no mostly dead in real life, and there's no mostly dead when the apostle tells you you were, most, or you were all dead outside of Christ. We live in a culture that loves to deny categories. 
We live in a culture that denies man and woman. Gender is now a spectrum. We live in a culture that denies humans and animals being a distinction. Now, my chicken is a person. She has human rights. Her name is Snow, and she just wants to live. But for all the lack of definition in our societies, we still don't deny that dead and alive are two discrete categories. There's no mostly dead any more than there's half pregnant. Medical professionals can perform heroics like CPR and get you back out of dead and into alive, but no one denies that these are discrete. The phrase half dead is hyperbole and it's funny precisely because it's impossible. You're either dead or you're alive. <clears throat> well, what we had to deal with at Dort was a group of well-meaning people who had a faulty doctrine of salvation because they didn't understand this point. They actually agreed with us on the phrase total depravity, but they were trying to rationalize their way around a clear teaching of Scripture that you were dead in your trespasses and sins. And that's actually why we had to deal with articles or the, the third and fourth head of doctrine together. You'll notice that tonight we're not in the third head of doctrine, we're the third and fourth heads of doctrine. And that's because even though we agreed on the fact that Scripture says we're totally depraved, the Arminians, by offering the solution that they believed was true, actually showed they did not believe in total depravity. See, if we disagree on the solution, we're disagreeing on what grace is. The, the remonstrance said that grace is God giving you a chance. And we said, as Christians, that grace is God giving you new life. So we need to understand the third head of doctrine together, and we said we did in name only. But we also need to understand what the solution is. And the solution is God gives you new life. The remonstrance said grace is God giving you the chance to make yourself alive. They, they viewed God as Miracle Max, giving you uh, your mostly dead corpse a little push, a little bit of air to give you the ability to say and do the right things. But what that means is that the remonstrance didn't understand how bad the situation is. If you understand the seriousness of where we are in Adam, then only the gospel makes sense as a solution. But if you don't truly get the seriousness of the fall, the effects of the fall, then your solution is going to be half-baked. And so what we were dealing with at Dort was a group of well-meaning people who taught a mostly powerful gospel to deal with mostly dead people. And our response to that is that the gospel is actually really good news, not mostly good news, because the gospel is God's almighty power to make dead people alive. Gospel the gospel of Jesus Christ is resurrection. It's not minor renovation and repairs. And so our theme tonight, as we discuss the truth of the word, is this. It's simple. The gospel is God makes dead people alive. And we'll look at it in two points. First, you were dead. And secondly, God made you alive. The gospel is God made dead people alive. First, you were dead. We read Ephesians 2. And the apostle Paul does not mince words here. He does not print or paint a pretty picture. You were dead. You weren't mostly dead. You were dead. You were dead dead. And you were doing what you wanted. The fall so poisoned our whole nature that we say with the psalmist, I am evil, born in sin, and in sin my mother conceived me. That's not mostly dead. That is dead. The fall so poisoned our nature that in place of how God made us, we have blindness, terrible darkness, 
futility, distortion of judgment in our minds, perversity, defiance, hardness of heart, and will, and finally, impurity in all our emotions. That's fully dead. And when the canons give us that list, they are just speaking how Scripture speaks about who we are in Adam. They're speaking how the Bible speaks. Jeremiah 17.9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Romans 1, people know God, they suppress the truth in unrighteousness, and God leaves them to it. God gave them over to a debased mind to do whatever their little hearts wanted to do, to do what ought not to be done. Romans 3, 10 through 18, it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside, together they have become worthless. No one does good, not one. And then skipping down a little bit, in their paths are ruin and misery, their feet are, shift, are swift to shed blood, and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. The scriptures are clear on this. By nature, we are dead. We are feeble-minded, dark-hearted enemies of God with wicked, calloused hearts who are ignorant and dead. I think somebody smart said that once. No, we're, there's no mostly dead here. It's all dead. Scripture is true, and God is true. You were dead. Let God be true though every man were a liar. But, the, but believers, that was our sad state in Adam. In Adam, that's who we are. When left to ourselves, <clears throat> we are totally unable even to want God. As our canons said tonight so beautifully, that last line, without the regenerating Holy Spirit, we are neither willing nor able to return to God, to reform our distorted nature and this is the important part, not even able to want him, not even able to dispose ourselves to such reform. The issue is, were you, were you willing to will something? And the answer is no. In Adam, you hated God and your neighbor. That's where our natures and abilities had us. We were dead. We were God's enemies without hope, headed for hell, and we liked it fine that way. And see, the Arminian dodges the weight of this reality. The weight of this reality is we were dead. And, and they want our freedom to be more and do more than it can. Do we have freedom? Absolutely. But we have freedom to be who we are and do what we want and are able to do. And that shouldn't strike us as a particularly abnormal concept. We deal with that reality every day, that people are free to be and do what they are and want. When we run into a baby in the stroller in the everyday world, our first reaction is not normally, man, it's such a shame that that baby is not free to do complex analysis. At least that's not my reaction. Why? Because a baby is free to do complex analysis, but it's also free to be and do what a baby is and does. And so a baby is free to do whatever it wants and it can. But what a baby wants to do and is able to do is eat, poop, cry, and sleep. I am totally free to run a marathon tomorrow. Nobody is stopping me from running a marathon. But believe it or not, I don't want to do it and I can't. In Adam, we were free to be who we are and do what we wanted. And in Adam, we were dead sitters who wanted to hate God and our neighbor. But the gospel is that God raises the dead to life. That's point two. God made you alive. The gospel is really good news because it tells you what God has done. What God has done in you and for you and to you, apart from you. 
The solution to death, as we read in Ephesians 2, 4 through 10, the solution to death is resurrection. And in Christ, God has made you alive. You went from all dead to alive. God made you alive because he's rich in mercy. And we don't get to miss that phrase. He is rich in mercy. That's why he did it. He did it because of his rich and full and free mercy to you and to me. If I give my student a 90% on their quiz because they got 9 out of 10 questions right, that is not mercy. In fact, they deserved it. They made right use of their abilities, and they got the reward for using their abilities correctly. That's works. But God made you alive in mercy. God made you alive in mercy. Mercy is something you don't deserve. Mercy is you didn't do anything right, and God resurrected you. God made you alive. God made you alive out of the love with which he loved you in Christ Jesus. John 17 tells you that Jesus prays for you and that he preserves you because the Father gave you to him. And he's never lost anyone the Father gave him. God made you alive because you belong to Jesus. God made you alive not based on you. He he made you alive only based on the merit intercession, and priesthood of Jesus Christ. He looks at you and he loves you and made you alive because he sees his son. The gospel is what God has done in Christ. God made you alive. By grace you have been saved. And God not only resurrected you, he promises that you will live and reign with Christ forever over all creation. He seated you in the heavenlies. And that's what riches of kindness looks like. Riches of kindness looks like God made you alive. That's what grace is. Grace is not God gave you a chance to make yourself alive because you were mostly dead. Grace is you were dead and God made you alive. It is free. It is unearned. It is merciful. And it is more than we asked. It is more than we imagined. It is more than we wanted. Riches of kindness looks like at the right time, Christ died for sinners. He died for sinners who didn't even want him. Riches of kindness looks like God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us so that God could make you alive. Riches of kindness looks like while we were enemies of God, we were reconciled by the death of his son, Jesus Christ, so that God could make you alive. And so the story of grace, the story of total depravity is not you made use of your faculties such as they were and then God rewarded that as good enough. The story of grace is God made you alive. You were a pile of dried bones bleached in the desert sun and God made you alive by speaking to you the word of his grace. God breathed his breath into you. He made your corpse a corpse again. And then he commanded your corpse to rise. The story is despair to hope. The the story is condemnation to reward. The story is is justice into grace. And the story is death to life. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. At Covenant Reformed Church in Missoula, Montana, we sincerely believe God's Word and faithfully teach it. We invite you to worship with us on Sundays. For more information, please visit MissoulaURC.com. That's MissoulaURC.com.